0: Welcome to Purdue Crop Chat, a regular podcast from Hoosier Ag Today and the Purdue University Extension Service, featuring Purdue Extension Soybean Specialist Dr. Sean Castile and Extension Corn Specialist Dr. Dan Quinn. On today's episode, Dan and Sean discuss record Indiana corn and soybean yields for 2023, how planting dates impacted those results, and they discuss fashion. Yes, you heard that right, fashion.
1: It's in our handbook that you have to wear a nice dress-up shirt and a vest. I mean, that's just the protocol. I actually did a meeting where I had a
2: couple of farmers come up to me and say, "Is it, you know, part of the indoctrination that <laughs> all agronomists wear a dress shirt with a vest and, you know." So it's, you know, it's just part of our attire.
0: It's part of our training. It's how you're recognized without wearing name tags. This podcast is made possible by the Indiana Corn Marketing Council and Indiana Soybean Alliance. Your Indiana corn and soybean checkoff investments yesterday are paying off today. New research, new uses, demand creation, bringing dollars back to the farm. Check it out at yourcheckoff.org. Now your host for Purdue Crop Chat. Who's your ag today's Eric Pfeiffer.
3: Welcome in. We're at the Indiana Corn and Soybean Innovation Center here in West Lafayette. Eric Pfeiffer here. Dan Corn Quinn over here to my left. Hello, Dan. Hey, Eric. And soybeans, Sean Castile over to the right. Hello. Um, uh, we are going to talk about record yields. USDA told us uh, a couple of weeks back now that uh, both Indiana corn and soybeans breaking records uh, already farmers aren't complaining a whole lot right now that's uh they're they're feeling pretty good about what's happened here uh in the fall Uh, but before we talk about that we are going to talk agronomy before before we go there uh i think we need to talk about fashion um i'm I'm catching you guys off guard with this we didn't discuss this in our our pre-recording meeting um i don't know if you guys realize you're your fashion icons in 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 the farm no you're not really Uh, It is kind of cute, though, how you kind of match today. You're you're both with, like, uh, the the, the plaid and the vest. It
1: is the extension talking circuit, so by all rights, it's in our handbook that you have to wear a nice (laughs) dress-up shirt and a vest. I mean, that is just the protocol. If you don't do that, you're out of it, right? You know, yeah. back in the day in the 1950s, it was a sport coat and a hat at the field day <laughs> at 95 degrees. Now it's just, all right, give me that nice dressed up shirt and a vest. Things, actually,
2: are, things are a bit more lax. Yeah. So. I actually did a meeting, uh, it's been a while ago, but did a meeting where I had uh, a couple of farmers come up to me and say, is it? is it the you know part of the
3: indoctrination that
2: all agronomists wear a dress shirt with a vest and you know
3: so it's you know it's just part of our attire it's part of our training It's how you're recognized without wearing yeah. name tags yeah. You, yeah. yeah okay well I, I want to talk about fashion because I, I want to go back uh, it's been some months ago now um, you know Sean you you were envious. Of this hat that I have on today, I do, I and, I, and I wore it, um, and and I'll describe it here for everyone. Let me take my headphones off here. It is a Purdue Agriculture logoed hat uh, with the old Purdue Pete on there, um, and and Sean was uh, was envious. Hey, where'd you get that? And uh, I think he was a little upset that I have better connections within the Purdue College of Agriculture than he does. <laughs> Uh, and I said, oh, my friend's at the uh, Purdue Ag Alumni Association hooked me up.
1: You went and got one yourself, right?
3: You just oh, don't have it on I, today. I,
1: I, I don't have it on today, but mine's the Purdue Gold, and it was given to me, so I might have better connections oh, than you think.
3: Oh, this was given to me, too. So. Oh,
1: man. Well, a blind squirrel <laughs> if it does find a nut uh-huh. every now and
3: then. <laughs> well, I, I, I wanted you to be even more envious because now I have uh, better connections, even within Purdue Extension, okay. that you guys do. Uh, and, and I'm going to pull this out here. And you're, Man, you're, this, you're this must be envious. Dan, this
1: must be show and Tell Day. Look at this. <laughs> <You're gonna laughs> oh, I'm envious. snapping
3: a picture of this one. Okay. Uh, one, I, I don't really know what to call this hat. Uh, it is a Purdue Extension hat. It is uh, uh, bright yellow. I think it's a safety hat of some kind. Um, and Sean is is uh, taking my picture right now. Uh, what what is this hat? Do we know what to call it? Like what what instance do I wear this on on the farm when I'm well, out? Well,
1: I I think we do this for calling out the troublemakers, and so <laughs> it's not a dunce hat per se. It's kind of like uh, we're definitely going to say you've got the yellow hat, and you don't go in the corner, but we know to stay away from you. Well, then then it's very good
3: that I didn't leave you guys out. And I did grab you a couple here. Oh, thank you, Uh, sir. Go go ahead. We we need to put it on because I do, in fact, need to get a picture of the two of you so that we can put this on social media. (laughs) Um, You all need to know what what this looks like. Um, I'm told uh, by our our good friend Alicia Rogers with Purdue Extension, who was at the Fort Wayne Farm Show last week, that these things, uh, they they go like (laughs) hotcakes. Um, they, they go like something people people uh gravitate toward these get get closer get tied in here we need we need to get this photo here oh my gosh um, sean i can see your middle finger that you're holding no sean <laughs> wouldn't do that i i promise but now okay we've got a photo we'll get that up on our social media to, to promote this thing um but it's it's a it's a cute hat um i expect to see you in it um on numerous occasions my new field day hat that's summer that's your new field day hat in the summer it looks like it breathes a lot it's uh, (laughs) it's protective of the ears and i think that might be about it um maybe the top of your head dan that 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 could help yep um but yeah, it's it's a nice little Purdue extension hat. I didn't want you to be jealous again.
1: Oh, I appreciate um, that. So we we've got that. <laughs> I don't taken. think you have anything to worry about. <laughs> okay.
3: Well, now that we've got the fashion talk out of the way, and, and again, I'll I'll post that picture on the Hoosierag Today social media accounts and um you'll also see how cute it is they are in their Their
2: vests and everything else yeah Um,
3: let's just say we're not changing the
2: topics of this podcast (laughs) to a fashion podcast
1: well clearly (laughs) i mean if we want to talk about fashion uh we got the west side uh hoodie going on uh, behind the mic across the way i've realized i don't need to dress up for you guys (laughs) you're, you're, you're not
3: the ones i'm trying to impress you know um but I've got basketball later for w- with the kids, so you know this is this all right. All right, we'll I'm let just, that go. I'm just trying not to dirty up more things because I do the laundry in my house. So I see. Uh, <laughs> I'm just I'm trying to keep things uh, you know straight for myself here. Okay, five minutes of fashion. I think that's probably enough. Let's let's talk <laughs> for agron- the year. <laughs> yeah, let's, <laughs> let's talk agronomy uh, again. Record yields. Uh, folks are are pretty darn happy with what we've got. Uh, a national corn record yield mm-hmm. uh indiana one of the leaders there at 203 bushels per acre dan yeah. uh do do we start calling you king corn now <laughs> i mean uh do we strip that title from bob now in his retirement and we we, we hand that over to you what what do we do here yeah, i don't know who who holds that uh, key to giving that award out but i think i might okay eric does
2: clearly <laughs>
1: he gave you a crown already <laughs>
2: That's true. I do have my crown now, but you know, first time they've they've seen the old two numbers sneak up for for state averages. So we're you know right on par with those you know other I states that we often get lumped in with. You know the Illinois and the Iowa's that usually are in that that two number. But uh, to see that that two hundred number two hundred three for the state is is just pretty amazing. I mean that's you know not just one two bushel over the previous state record, but but you know seven eight bushel above the previous state record. So uh, just is a testament to how good a year it was um you know we we had some of the challenges with dry early but you know we caught rains when we needed them we had good conditions late you know i think a lot of the disease kind of stayed at bay across the state it's just you know we've been doing a lot of our extension circuit uh, you know over the last couple months and not a lot of complaining out there no. a lot of farmers are, are pretty happy uh with what went on I think you know the only thing is you know when they do outperform and, and do really well then they look at well where are prices going so I think some of the prices are down um, and you know typically input prices do not follow uh, when those go down but I do think you know fertilizers down nitrogen fertilizers down that's that's good to see for for a lot of guys but uh, yeah it's just yeah, it's been a good year. We talked about it in fall. You know, a lot of farmers are quiet in fall. That's usually a, a sign from our perspective that things are going well. Harvest went well. Um, yields were good. Um, just, just pretty good. Pretty good morale all around from, from a lot of the corn farmers.
3: And, and you mentioned. I mean, we we didn't have perfect conditions no. by any means, but you know, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't. We we did catch those rains when we yeah. needed them. But you know, ultimately, uh, dry early, but. everyone everyone hey the the, the top got taken off of this thing that's what i kept hearing from everyone the top got taken off of this thing did it really like you tell me dan (laughs) you're 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 the you're the smart guy here did it really
2: get taken off i'd say i'm gonna quit saying that you know we're not gonna have a a good yield uh year in and, and year out um so um um but uh it's just you look at the challenging conditions and when they came in they kind of came in at the times that you know if we had to pick a time for those stressful conditions to come in they came in you know staying dry early you know that meant you know planting conditions were really good it got got a little dry on us but you know hey the the, the crops could handle it they could bury their roots they got established very well and then we caught rains in July you know right right at pollination right when we we're getting a little concerned hey we we're catching those rains so we pushed back a lot of that disease and then we had you know pretty good conditions August got a little dry in September but um, I think you know that helped with grain fill around the state to just really good conditions. Um, Few, you know, spots, I would say, in northern Indiana that probably struggled a little bit more. Some of our trials, like around the Fort Wayne area, northeast Indiana, some stuff in, you know, parts of eastern Indiana that may have been a little bit later in terms of when they were getting planted and then kind of caught some of those stressful conditions uh, a little bit more so. And those sites maybe weren't as good. Um, But from a statewide perspective, uh,
3: a lot of really good yields um, around the state. Sean, you broke a record, too. I mean, it wasn't as impressive as what Dan did here, but uh, 61 bushels per acre. Uh, that ain't that ain't bad for soybeans.
1: Uh, no, not at all. State record. And the thing of it is, uh, soybeans have been breaking the record about every year now. So, I mean, we keep going up and up. So, I, I don't know. When you think about repeat championships here, I've got, what, 2018, 2020, 2021, 2023. So, I've got four. State champions right here, right? So are, are, that's are, pretty
3: good record. Are you wanting like a WWE belt? Like oh, what? what, what I, I, he has, he has so. banners hanging.
2: Yeah.
1: In his oh, no, no doubt. <laughs> All right, you walk in, yeah, they're just hanging out. Look at those ears. Oh yeah, you got 2023 corn. <laughs> Go back to mine. Uh, no, we definitely had a tremendous year on the soybean side. 61 bushels at the state level. Uh, Tied with the other I states, uh, Illinois, for the country. So the whole country, we topped out as well. Not only did we break record within Indiana uh, for all the all of time, if you will, but also in 2023, we tied the record for the whole country. So that tells you a lot about what kind of yields that we did have this year. Uh, you made the comments about the season, Dan, and we're going to follow right in line. Timely planting was critical And within that great stand establishment, if we had had these timely plantings and the stands were were kind of poor, we would not have weathered the dry conditions we had in June. I think that's for both crops, right? The, The idea that get a good stand establishment so then the roots are going down. They've got this dry soil line pushing the roots down deeper so then they can withstand that dry June.
2: Yeah, we had uh, actually up in northwest Indiana, uh, just real minor uh, of a trial with, with Darcy Telenko up there, just looking at planting dates uh, in corn and a couple different maturities. But what what kind of stood out to me was the, the, the corn that got planted, like, you know, early in that couple first couple weeks in, in May um, out yielded that corn that, you know, we usually push it back a couple weeks with, the, with this study. I think we're, you know, later to almost – almost toward the end of May and it was you know 20-25 bushel difference you know same hybrid same everything. Um, Now that's not always the case year in and year out but I think you look at you know where we're at this year the conditions we planted in early that crop just got a lot more established in terms of when it kind of started running into some of those dry conditions so seeing that you know kind of play out in some of our trials was was pretty uh, cool to see
1: yeah on the soybean front you know grandpa a, a lot of things I bring up was what grandpa told me growing up he said when would you rather like it dry June or August and it's June and I think everyone has that appreciation establishing the root system so then you can get them nice and down deep so then when you have limitation to water later you still have roots that are down accessing that when the top 6 8 12 inches is dry yep. um, rain came back like you said in July and and what what that did for us in terms of soybean we had a nice compact plant so we weren't getting a lot of robust growth in June which is actually a good thing for soybeans we can get too much biomass and so then we have to maintain that biomass and the pods and so this is really what I call a, a crop that was very efficient it maximized what it needed in terms of the leaf area and then get into mm-hmm. pods that are retained and filling those suckers out.
3: I was getting ready to ask a follow-up and then I looked over at your 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 coffee here and it it says, John, did you realize that? Did you take someone else's coffee, or did they not understand Sean? and Oh, just you know, you you John? Know, <laughs>
1: yeah, I go with whatever they give me. Yeah, give me, give me that running meal. <laughs> as long as it's not frou
3: John, if you're looking for your coffee, uh, Sean <laughs> has it here at the Indiana Corner Soybean great. Innovation Center. Um, uh, no, I, I think if we go back and listen to uh, some of these podcasts, if we go back and listen to some of my interviews with other agronomists, which I, I tend to do a ton of, because you um, want to
1: fact check us,
3: is uh, that uh, what it, yeah. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> False news, um, is that what you are saying? <laughs> um, I, I think if we go back, we're going to hear Agronis. They were you guys were a little worried uh, back when it was awfully dry. You know, going back to, to May, June, and and. Yep. Um, now I think if you had the opportunity to order up another 2023 from a, a weather standpoint, you, you'd do it in a heartbeat, right?
1: Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the case. We let it get dry, and then we, we start to talk about that D word of drought, and then all of a sudden uh-huh. the, the faucet opens up. So we hold on just as so long as we can, and then we start talking <laughs> about it in the hopes that the faucet gets turned I back a, I have a
2: side-by-side picture. I wrote an article about drought conditions in corn, and then I shared the radar the next day after <laughs> I wrote that article, and it was the whole state was getting rain but I thought you know I mentioned is maybe a couple one of our last episodes I went out to, to Iowa and did a meeting and it was brought up even at that meeting that you know was I listened to your podcast and I, you know Sean was kind of <laughs> getting a pretty hard time you know looking at these state record deals he he never thought there were going to be state record deals yeah. all year so it, it was traveling out to Iowa yeah, you know
3: uh, Danny yeah. Danny downer there <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, I don't know guy I mean we we would order up another 23 in a heartbeat. And, uh, you know, now we we know that that's not how Mother Nature works. She doesn't really, uh, you know, take requests. So we've got some other things we need to, you know, concern ourselves with. Let's take a time out here on the Purdue Crop Chat. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the decisions that need to be made here for 24 as we go forward. We're back in a minute. Biodiesel is bringing value back to the farm, accelerating the demand for Indiana soybeans, increasing market value, and reducing greenhouse gases. The Indiana Soybean Alliance puts Chekhov dollars to work, researching and promoting biodiesel in Indiana, growing production, creating nearly 3,200 jobs across Indiana, and increasing soybean ROI $36 per acre. The future of fuel is biodiesel. Learn more about biofuels at yourcheckoff.org. We're back here on the Purdue Crop Chat. Eric Pfeiffer here, Dan Cornquin over there, soybean Sean Castile over here to my right, and we are Talking about record yields in Indiana, but we're also talking about, you know, you guys had, you had about 15 minutes there to celebrate. Um, Now (laughs) now it's over. It's in the past. It's done. We got to start thinking about 2024. Isn't that how it works in the yeah, farming the world? Banners
1: are up in my office. We're already thinking he's about on. 24, and actually probably 25 season for
3: that. He's, he's got he's got more banners in his office than uh, you know Illinois.
1: I got the recruits. Uh, I, I look uh, for them pretty uh, early.
2: A little bit more than uh, Purdue. I shouldn't say that. I was wow. I was going to say Michigan State, but that's that's not really. Case. Mm. Yeah, Michigan State has quite a few banners. Yeah. Oh I man, I didn't mean for uh, it to go that. I'm going to get calls. Yeah, yeah. Now you're getting calls. <laughs>
3: um, but but let's talk about 20. 2024, I mentioned that, uh, you know, I picked up these beautiful hats at the Fort Wayne Farm Show last week and it is meeting season. It's farm show season. We've got a lot coming up here. Um, the, the National Farm Machinery Show is coming up here in just a few weeks down in Louisville. Commodity classic coming to Houston at the end of February and into early March. I think that's probably the next time we'll all get together. Is mm-hmm. is down there? I'm sure you guys will have surprises for me on the podcast. Bring we some might of your have friends. To find a hat yeah, or something for yeah, you. Absolutely. I mean, this is th- this is what this is all about. Getting all the free hats. Uh, I just didn't quite expect this one, <laughs> uh, but I like it. I like it. We're gonna make it work. I think I can wear it in the pool this summer. There so. you go. Um, but, but let's talk about some of these decisions. Uh, I get the feeling that folks aren't really looking to make too many changes from a year ago, uh, given how things transpired this year. But when we take a look you know, at the Fort Wayne Farm Show last week, our chief meteorologist, Ryan Martin, kind of laid out his idea for what the weather forecast might do in 2024. Obviously, it's tough to pin it down by day at this point, but he's thinking it's going to be a lot wetter in 2024 than it was in 2023 with above normal precipitation in uh, May, June, July, even August before things kind of tamp down in September. Uh, so at this point, what types of things do we need to keep in mind and keep uh, considering here as we start making some of these decisions for twenty I'll start with you, Dan.
2: I uh, think, you know, if you get the the notion that it could be a little bit wetter I mean it's it's always the the same thing we we try to at least from the the corn side right is just try to chase conditions instead of a calendar date um I know that gets it's way easier said than done even for myself and in our research trials um uh, but you know if you you plant too wet and you have you know Poor conditions, that stuff just is a nightmare the rest of the year in terms of, you know, sidewall compaction and, you know, just planter issues. It can be,
1: though. Hold on here. I want to interrupt here. All right, so it can be. I'm not saying do this, but people can get away with it, right? Mm -hmm. If you can go open seed slots, and I don't prefer that, right? I don't think you do either, but if you catch that rain that he's talking about May, June, I mean, can't the crop just work through it if it gets you know a, a weekly rain uh, and then just keeps on growing down? Once you smear that that sidewall
2: with that planter and you get compaction is one of the biggest pains to ever. You can't just save it, you know. Once you once you have it on that field, even if you caught rains with it. Yeah.
1: I, I think that it gets worse whenever it turns dry after that that yes. smearing. Then that ground just gets hard, and that root cannot penetrate. Yeah, that's
2: that's the thing about having those compaction issues right with the planter, right? You're already setting up... That plant to have poor establishment, poor root development. So even if you do catch rains, yeah, maybe uh, you can. It still holds on, but if it turns dry, well, that root system's already compromised, and you're like,
1: well, that's when it really you know, hits, hits you hard. Really,
2: even, and then you start seeing nutrient deficiencies, like you know, potassium deficiencies yep. show up. Um, it just, you know, as soon as those conditions turn, I mean. If you have the perfect world, yeah, maybe you could probably get away with it. But um, I wouldn't bank I on wouldn't that. I wouldn't bank on that. So as soon as things things turn, that's when uh you know, we've some of our plots for our class, right? I planted way too wet and that crop just even last year just had potassium deficiency, it just it had struggle getting established, it just it had terrible yield, it um it's just something that just, just
3: haunts you the rest of the year. So so let me ask this. We've we've been talking about not not early planting timely planting in yep. soybeans which yep. can happen in April of course uh, if we're looking at a drier April a wetter May a wetter June I mean you guys tell me do do we want to start and just get like every last bit of soybeans that so we can get out there if we can get out there <laughs> because i think it's been proven now that Mm. corn can go late and still yield pretty darn well Mm. um i mean we we even had that a little bit here in 23 when you know april was a a little bit wet i think we got uh, started a little bit later temperatures
1: too yeah Yeah. i mean i
3: mean can we hold off in corn should folks be looking at that if that's really what's going to come about here if if ryan's forecast is really going to be true
2: I think there's, you know, some level of truth to that, that we've seen, you know, a lot of farmers, Sean's tracked it pretty closely, seeing that shift, I mean, I mentioned I I know a couple of farmers that are, are close by here that planted 2,000 acres of beans before they even pulled the corn planter out of the, the shed, so I think... You know, you just I think there's a little bit more and Sean can speak to this a little bit more, right? There's a little bit more of a yield benefit maybe to to planting soybeans earlier. They can they can adapt a little bit better. Um, you know, we always bring up corn's kind of a a diva, right? Uh, I was waiting for him to admit it. The the D word
3: thrown out there, but it
2: you know, That's the
1: first step. (laughs) You know, that is the first step, admitting it, you know.
3: But but that that diva was like, you know, J Lo this year. She she outperformed like (laughs) considerably. Two hundred three kind of boost it up mean, did, in the yeah. come on sean yep. recognize game recognize game here like uh, uh,
1: banners all i have to say uh, is banners <laughs> no I, I think the the point is well mm-hmm. made you know if, if april comes in field conditions are fit and again i i say timely planting and timely planting can mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. an april 15th uh, that can certainly do that um calendar date that, that Dan talks about. I'm not pulling the trigger per se April 15th, just because it's that day, if we're getting sidewalk compaction, if we're smearing all that. But uh, I certainly think it goes back to, in 23, we had great stand establishment, able to weather the dry side of it. It's gonna be the same thing in terms of, okay, if it does turn off wet, you want a plant that's already there, established root systems to kind of go through that, especially if it's gonna be wet. Um, I think that helps out in a number of ways. You think about any of the seedling diseases that could come into this, uh, I definitely have been one, when you're looking at timely planting beans, uh, <clears throat> to have a fungicide seed treatment out there thinking about, they're going to be sitting in the soils that are colder. Uh, some of the diseases really like that cold and wet. You think about epithium, you think about some of these other ones, uh, you want to be protecting it. And so it's going to take longer to, to emerge, but once it's established and well protected, it can keep on going. If you don't have that level of protection, I think you are just setting up a recipe for a disaster.
3: And I, I want to talk more about that, but I, I want to ask the question. and. and I love asking these questions because you hate answering them, um, <laughs> because it's really impossible to, to know. But what what do you prefer, Dan? You want April fifteenth planted corn, or you want June <laughs> June fifth planted corn? Ooh. <laughs> wow! I tough. mean, I, if if May is just you know completely washed out, what, oh, June 5th what, what all do day you want?
2: If, if you
3: know
1: that's a headline right there quinn <laughs> says june 5 oh boy here it goes take it to
2: press <laughs> it's gonna be all over um if i had to choose based on a crappy april and may and your are oh no 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 no
1: he said april was good may was bad yeah no, uh, he, he's stacking the deck on his answer now huh
2: no, I think it's, you know, we saw it last year um, with with a lot of stuff. was I had some corn trials that were planted June 1st, and they were, you know, really good yields. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just they got planted into really good conditions, and the ground was warm, and it shot out of the ground, right? We always talk about that. You know, I could plant. April 15th and I could plant May 10th and based on if it turned off cold after April 15th that crop is probably not coming out that much later on May 10th than what it would be in April 15th and and with corn right you know beans getting them in early you know if you lose say five ten percent of your stand with beans that's a different story than losing five ten percent of your stand with corn as well. Um, it's just not going to compensate to that that level. Too. Yeah,
1: and I agree. Uh, soybeans can adapt. They'll, they'll branch. I mean, earlier planted beans they're they're going to be shorter, so then they have more light penetrating, so they actually make decisions to branch earlier with that. Um, I would prefer to have a nice uniform stand emerge, right? I think most anyone would, but between the two crops, you better have that picket row on the corn. Yep. Uh, soybeans, uh, sure, that's preferred. We don't have to have it as absolute as you do on that diva crop. Corn.
3: <laughs> well, let's talk, you talk mm-hmm. about having it protected, yep. Sean, and uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, uh, soybean seed treatments and uh, obviously fungicides. Let's start with the seed treatments here as folks are making decisions. What types of things should folks be keeping in mind, considering here as we go through? I know, uh, you know, I spoke with at least one seed company. They're they're changing some things and how they're doing their seed treatments this year, uh, removing some insecticide from that. Just just talk about what folks should be looking for.
1: Yeah, first and foremost on soybean seed treatments, especially if you're planting timely, uh, you've you've got to have some level of fungicide seed treatment on that, and so. Within there, there's different ones to choose from. No doubt about that, but then understand what you have. If I think about the East Central part of the state, there's a lot of Phytophthora out there. And so if you've got your variety selection that has some level of Phytophthora resistance, but but maybe not the genes that uh, there's a couple different levels of genes that you can use, still add in the seed treatment that has a fungicide uh, effect on Phytophthora. Uh, Other areas, if they're cool and wet, Epithium. So understand what kind of conditions you're going to have in the disease that's coming into there the other part of that um, another set of disease that we we think about cool wet during early germination and vegetative growth is that state fair disease sudden death syndrome okay so we see that visually usually in August but that infection actually occurs as soon as you have the roots are out and early vegetative growth and the condition is cool wet that fungus will infect during that cool wet so uh, again if we've got this recipe uh, then you want to think about there's some other seed treatments that are uh, beyond just the, the classic fungicide seed treatments, but those that have an SDS level of protection, so whether that's Ilevo, Saltro, or a few others, those are ones to consider as well.
0: You're listening to Purdue Crop Chat, brought to you by your Indiana corn and soybean checkoff organizations. Visit yourcheckoff.org. Dan, what about you? Seed
2: treatments on corn? Yeah, I think it's still uh, really important on the corn side, too. I think the the fungicide is is a big one uh we were talking uh before this we started recording here uh, darcy had a a really nice study out here at uh, uh, Acre here uh, with seed treatments in corn, and it was pretty eye-opening. And just even last year, when you know they had some stuff that was planted a little bit earlier, but you know planting conditions were pretty good. Um, but you know some untreated seed that was was struggling pretty good. You know missing plants, you know dying plants. You know you think about Pythium is a big one, Rhizoctonia, Fusarium, those kind of soul born fungi that are really driven by those cool uh, you know, more moist, wet conditions. Um, I actually did a couple, I did one call for a farmer, uh, last year that had, you know, untreated seed. He was more of a, you know, organic type, um, operation, but untreated seed. And, and that corn was basically just dying out in that field. Um, so, and we ran the, ran the, uh, the diagnostic report and actually had all three it had Pithium, mm-hmm. Rhizoctea, Rhizoctonia, and, and Fusarium. And it was pretty, pretty rough. So, uh, fungicide is a big, big, Component, you know, some of those diseases, right. they're really the best way to control them. Like pythium is through some of those active ingredients that are on, um, the seed treatments. So they, they do a good job. You look at cover crops too. There's been a lot of work out of Iowa that shows, you know, something like cereal rye, um, can kind of, you know, cause that really specifically pythium, uh, to build up in the soil and, and, potentially impact that corn if you're following that. Um, so some of those more high residue systems, um, as well, uh, the fungicide seed treatments are important. Uh, um, Um, Insecticide seed treatments, right? I still think you know, looking at corn-on-corn acres, maybe some more of those those uh, um, heavy residue acres, but you know, typically corn-on-corn acres where maybe we have some you know potential corn rootworm issues or or stuff like that. But Indiana um, has, has stayed pretty pretty stable in terms of their their you know insect issues uh you go out to iowa illinois it seems like they they have a lot more rootworm uh troubles um out there than than indiana does um but paying attention to your traits right your bt traits and stuff in your in your hybrids is important but uh the fungicide one is is the big one that i that i come back to just because i've seen when we have untreated seed and what happens when you don't have that fungicide treatment it it can get pretty ugly
1: I want to follow up. You mentioned insecticide, and, and Eric, you brought it up, and I forgot to talk about it. Uh, on the soybean side, and when we talk about seed treatments, uh, within Indiana, I don't really see the need and the value of having an insecticide seed treatment. Uh, if you're out there timely, you're one of the first ones planted the soybeans. No doubt your soybeans are going to be at the buffet table first. Uh, there is going to be some bean leaf beetles that are feeding on that. You're going to get a little bit of that feeding, but I have yet to see a case where it's uh, to a level that's economical, that's causing issues. It's a little cosmetic at that point. So I really don't see the need for a, a seed treatment insecticide, at least within Indiana. You can think about maybe some as you go further, further West needing it. But overall, we're pretty much a no on that, um, that need.
3: When when we talk, and, and this is uh, <clears throat> this is the city boy and me coming out and asking you know silly questions. That's that's what you guys are here for <laughs> to answer silly questions. I mean, how much untreated seed is out there in Indiana? I, I, I mean, it's tough it's tough to tell. I mean, fo- folks yeah. are folks are doing this. It's just a matter of which ones they're choosing, right?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think on of the two crops. corn is probably going to be zero for next to however many decades. Uh, Soybeans probably within the last decade has had a switch, right? There's still going to be some untreated seed going out there on the soybean, but I think a lot of people that are pushing the planting dates earlier than they used to, the timely planting, they recognize the need for that fungicide Mm -hmm. seed treatment. And um, you can still do untreated seed. There's no doubt about that. But uh, between the two crops, I think you probably have more acres of the soybean than you do corn. Um, but, again, we have to put it in light of when we're planting and, yeah, in those conditions. It's almost like
2: most of the seed treatments for corn are pretty standard. It's just yep. the way it comes. You know, there's a little bit more customization and yep. treating going on with the beans. But, yeah, corn, unless, you know, like the, the farmer I i did a call with that was more organic or some mm-hmm. kind of those specialized
3: um, type management systems, you may see it, but
2: it's, it's pretty rare. Mm-hmm.
3: That's kind of what I figured uh, as, as we, we talk about, you know, and, and this is another, we've, we've discussed this in the past, uh, you know, just as we, as we talk about it, it, it could be wetter than it was in 23. We, mm-hmm. those diseases coming in even a little bit later um, and, and having just fungicide applications later on mm-hmm. in the season mm-hmm. a, at this point, I think folks are, are realizing it. Pretty well pays for itself at this point. Again, is that what you guys are seeing and and that they should just be planning on at this point? It's just a matter of the timing, right? Yeah, I mean,
2: corn, just year in and year out, it's, you know, we just wrapped up uh, one of our our high yield studies we've been doing over the last uh, couple years across, you know, four states now. Um, Just pulling the data, looking at, you know, we had a fungicide, just R1 fungicide it was 15 bushel across you know multiple years I think 12 13 site years um, is what we had you know it's it's so challenging with the the, with the fungicides right because you got to be careful with them too right we can't just have this mindset that you know I'm just gonna spray to spray you know you see what happens with the with the herbicide I just I keep trying to reiterate the issue and I think the pathologists uh, do too is just they work, they do a good job, they do what they're supposed to. Let's just maintain having this because uh, you see what happens with glyphosate and some of the herbicides, right? We don't want to go down that route. But um, it's just we a lot of these diseases, right, you know, gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf spot, uh, you know, tar spot, they just kind of come in, you know, year in and year out. It might be different pressures at different timings each year. Um, it's still important to scout, still understand what diseases are out there and, and be mindful of. The conditions right around you know when it's time to spray because there's there's instances with some farmers that I talk to that say they kind of they kind of watch the weather "Ah, you know it's staying pretty dry here I think I'm gonna I'm gonna get away with it and and they're able to to get away with it now there's other cases where they can't so uh, it gets really really tricky but I think that you know the r1 r2 timing that tassel timing for the fungicides just you know in terms of a lot of the inputs we evaluate, a lot of the management practices we evaluate. That's the one that is time and time again, especially when we have disease, we're, we're going to have a yield response.
1: Soybeans, uh, we certainly can uh, see the response, but I dare say that uh, maybe I'm a little more reserved on that one. Um, we've done the prophylactic applications, so let's just do the R3, R4, R4s. And I've got a fair amount of data, Darcy does too, that outside of a disease pressure um, we don't always get the yield benefit out of that. There's some that, that cause some, quote, plant health benefits that you might think about, or you have some more stay green because they control some septoria brown spot. You know, septoria brown spots in the lower part of the canopy, and, mm-hmm. and usually it doesn't come up. If it comes up to halfway to two thirds of the canopy, that's gonna be something that's probably gonna influence yield, but yeah, we can protect for that third of the canopy that has it, but does it turn into yield? Uh, I think a lot of that comes into our August and September weather, do we have adequate soil temperature, moisture, so then we can finish filling those suckers out. Um, the other side of it on on soybeans is really thinking about two windows of application. R1, R2s are going to be more looking for white mold. So different disease, sclerotinia, uh, that's during the flowering. In those environmental conditions, um, those have a different set of fungicides than the classic, if you will. If I can say that word classic, I think we're at a point that R3 is more of a classic timing for a uh, fungicide. And uh, those are going to be more of uh, like a frog eye, leaf spot, those type of control uh diseases and so uh, you, you have to be mindful of which two diseases time periods you're looking at in the soybean front um, and and then also a system uh, what I've been noting is that over the last few years, like I've done here locally across the state, where I haven't seen anything with the prophylactic fungicide, the insecticide by itself or in the combination, but then we have something that's helping with overall nodulation and fixation, better nitrogen supply, and then all of a sudden there seems to be almost a switch that there's a little bit more synergy. And so depending on if you have that kind of a system, that might be more of an automatic. Now to take the breath, a lot of our producers are like, R3, it's an automatic for me. But I, I think we have to be mindful in particular. There is QOI resistance out there. You mentioned glyphosate. So there is a fungicide class, QOI, where there's frog at least spot that is overcoming that. Mm-hmm. And so the fungicides we're applying at R3, if you're doing that planned, you better make sure you've got at least two modes of action. So bring in a triazole or DNA. D- uh, DMHI or something like that. And
2: yeah. We, uh, it's probably been a quite a few podcasts, but we mentioned, you know, there was some, uh, presentations at you know, some of the conferences we went to, they're tracking triazoles and, and how they impact crops and humans. Right. So it's being a paid attention to, yep. um, so just be mindful of it. Like with corn, I think, you know, that R1, R2, even R3 range, um, is, it tends to be year in and year out the most consistent time to put fungicide on, um, Quit putting fungicide on at like V6. I mean, I can spend you mon- your money for you if you
1: want to do that. <laughs> I mean, hey, well, here, come come over me. Give me half. <laughs> you can get the other half like, back. Just, I'll, I'll make you a better yeah, deal than just, that. Just stop
2: doing that. If I have one PSA for today, um, it's just. It's a, it's a waste of money. It's a waste of time. Like, just, just quit it. Um, yeah. But um, so um, but Tell that, us how you really think, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> could, could, could
3: you pull that soapbox out from
1: under him yeah. now? He, he's
2: just trying to look a little taller. That's all right. But I think that, that that tassel time period, I mean, with a lot of our work, a lot of, you know, work Darcy does year in and year out is, is just a really, really good timing. It's a really important time. It's a good time to put the fungicide on. It's a really consistent time um as well um but you know we've done a lot of work with you know the the newer products uh, something like zyway um from a, which is an fmc product a little bit more of a systemic uh, type fungicide um seeing pretty good pretty good results uh for that right so i you know talk about um spraying fungicide early on you know like a you know a, a triazole or qi right that's only gonna last for a period of time and you're talking foliar sprays yeah, at foliar the sprays yeah. these things just with that right um, but the some of these a little bit more systemic uh Zyway is is one flu trifall um, we've been working with it quite a bit over the last couple of years. Um, actually, uh, was able to combine all of our data with, with all of Darcy's data, you know, looking at different placements and rates and, and application methods. And it, it does a pretty good job in terms of, you know, controlling disease. You know, a lot of my students will rate disease at like R5, right? R5 right at Dent, right? We're about 30 days away from maturity. Now, it's not as good, you know, that late as, say, a foliar fungicide at R1, but there's still activity right we still see you know pretty good activity of, of holding back like gray leaf spot we see pretty good responses in southern indiana with it um, but holding back gray leaf spot holding back northern corn leaf blight it's not really labeled i don't think it's labeled for tar spot but we you know have indicated some activity on tar spot um, so it does a pretty good job of actually pushing back uh, some of those diseases so if you want to go a, a two fungicide route you know you might be able to 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 put something like zyway on and, and maybe just play it by by ear or, or by sight when you're out looking and, and scouting those fields um to get that foliar fungicide on so
1: agronomist has a question yeah zyway when do you put it on then <laughs> zyway is is primarily through the planter
2: um and okay. you uh, so in for all right no don't put it in for okay all. do yes. not do another soapbox do not put in <laughs> for all guys do okay. not um, so i think it originally had started that way yeah, um, and uh, a lot of work that had been done by the pathologists and and uh, found that actually you can have issues and and we've seen that not just with 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 zyway i worked with another product during my phd xantheon um, where we put it in furrow and had issues it's a lot of times it's very environmental condition specific so some of those cooler or more wet conditions you can have you know a little bit More so a stand loss, but it it can happen. Actually looking at our data, uh, where I combined our data and Darcy's data, if you look at you know, two by two, it's typically recommended in two by two, I think they recommend maybe three quarters of an inch or an inch off that seed. So you could do a two by two, two by zero, you know, anything that just is getting it off that seed. Um, I think we had 140 comparisons. Uh, it was about a 5% increase in yield. So we equated it to percent uh, with a lot of the different locations and, and yield environments. You look at the in Uh, We had a lot of actually yield reductions uh, with the inferro, so I want to avoid that.
1: Was the inferro probably more of, I mean, most anything that's applied Mm. to a corn or soybean crop, uh, the crop has to metabolize it. So Mm. do you think it's an issue of just too hot of a rate for Mm. a small seedling to metabolize and break down? Uh, to get over that is why you have the uh, inferro yeah. issue? Yeah, I
2: think that's one case. Uh, another case I've seen with, with some of these infurrow fungicides has been uh, primarily with uh, the fertilizer. So a lot of farmers do like putting, you know, say 1030 furrow yeah. with their inferro. They they mix okay, but mm-hmm. you have to keep it really well agitated. Um, and what we found is, and when I was doing my PhD work with the, the Xanthion product, is that we kind of found that they mixed okay. But when it, even when you're planting, you kind of get hot spots where they, okay. they're not really mixed, where you might get, you know, kind of a higher rate in, in areas yeah. because it's not mixed or agitated very well. So um, it's probably, you know, metabolism aspects, probably, as well as you know, rate where it gets a little hot okay. um, as well. So
1: And then as you are talking about this, mm-hmm. replaces your R1, R2, complements mm-hmm. it, okay? Where, yeah. where do you place that?
2: I would say it complements it. it. Um, and I think it also gives... Um, so, a that
1: bit, 5% increase is in addition to already having the R1 fungicide? No, R2? no, that was okay. uh,
2: just sideway by itself. Okay. Yeah, without yep. the R1 fungicide. So, you do get some of that yield response, but from some of our data, like looking at disease and actually yield responses, it wasn't quite as good as okay. the R1 fungicide. The way I look at it is, I, I kind of equate it to, you know, st- starter fertilizer as well and nitrogen and corn it kind of gives you a little bit of flexibility to maybe adjust your plans when Mm -hmm. you get into say you know side dress time with nitrogen you know you can adjust your plans if you have some up front to carry it to that point zyway i think does a good job of carrying that plant to that r1 where you can say ah the the conditions are looking pretty good you know maybe we'll wait until r3 and you get to r3 yeah we're we're still looking pretty good maybe i can hold off on that that that's one to decide so i think it's that, that flexibility. It doesn't replace it, right? It's it's not labeled well, for it. Well, it could the replace it if
1: conditions yeah. Uh, yeah. if the disease is not developing, right? That's yeah. kind of what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, okay. so it's
2: just just adding that flexibility. I think that's, that's what's nice about
3: it. You know, it, disease we, we talked about 2023 and it's not as though disease wasn't there and in, in a lot of cases it came in late and just didn't have much yield impact right yeah. i mean that's that's where what about with soybean you talk about white mold that's kind of what we started to see a little bit last year but even then it didn't Obviously, state record yield uh, right. didn't have much of an impact on yield.
1: Yeah, so white mold, uh, you you think of that more of the northern areas. It, you can see it every now and then in southern locations, but it definitely more of a northern disease in Ill, Indiana, Illinois, for that matter too. Uh, it came in later, and I think a lot of that came with our June uh conditions uh, soybeans weren't growing very fast and they actually were delayed in flowering and so even with timely planting the flowering came in later uh, usually we think about getting some flowers going on pretty good late june we really weren't seeing that soybeans continued to grow and develop into july and then now you have this fresh flush of flowers so that's the entry point for white mold and then the wet conditions so that puts it into oh all of a sudden we do have some white mold showing up in areas and it hit us in a way that i didn't anticipate because it's the middle of july normally we already think about it's it's been june but a lot of those flowers came later and so we did have a few fields that were showing uh white mold uh, pretty bad uh, but yeah not to the level affect a state state level yeah i think so, yeah. so you're
3: saying we could have been at like 63 but but <laughs> you, you, you you couldn't see this coming so you know
1: that's fine i, I we got 61 bushel beans still so i'm, I'm pretty happy okay. um I, I would also say that you know, the the other part of it. I mean, we did have some foliar diseases, but again, not a high level. Uh, I want to bring this as a, as a point for Dan to say, hey, you got great yielding corn, but there started to be an issue. I was talking to Darcy a few weeks ago, cre- creeping up in the storage area, right? Uh, yep. Dawn level. So what are you seeing on that? Great crop, but now we've got some issues in the grain itself with Dawn. So it's not all rosy over here on the corn yeah, side. So, uh-huh.
2: so don, you know, the mycotoxins, which, you know, are, are can be fairly detrimental one for most. You know, grain quality standpoint, but actually getting docked at at you know the elevator when you're trying to sell your grain. Um, so you know, I wanted to bring up that you know, kind of, you look at really northern Indiana is is what's kind of struggled. You know, from a standpoint of they were a little bit later planted, they had a little bit, you know, they kind of struggled a little bit more this year. I think maybe more of the white mold issues were more maybe tailored toward northern Indiana. I think a lot of these, these Don issues are, it's, it tends to be pockets each year where we see it, but we'll see hot spots. Um, Northeast Indiana, I had a few calls um, on Don. Um, it's something that, that we try to track. It's, it's really, really tricky to, to try and manage. It's really, uh, what's tricky about Don is you can have, you know, some of the mycotoxins or some of the the ear molds show up when it gets really dry, hot and dry. You can have it when it's wet, late. Um, they had a lot of issues in, in northern Indiana with just dry down in their corn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we talked about that. It just wasn't drying down. It was sitting in the field. We had a lot of farmers that had, you know, the ears were still staying up. They were catching rain late. Um, it's just those... Those areas that just were sitting out there and were catching those conditions and just weren't drying down, um, that's really where a lot of those hot spots showed up uh, with the Don. I think it was really specific to kind of that northern, northeast Indiana uh, realm, but it's, it's a big concern. It's a big concern where we're seeing it from. Actually, the the grain buyer side, um, they've started coming to us and saying, "Hey, we've we got some issues. Uh, you know, um, they got to look at at certain levels. You know, for for pet food, for for human food, for um, all these different things. If you don't hit that level, they either have to reject your grain, or you're getting docked, or you're having issues. Um, so it's it's a, a big concern, and it's also very tricky uh, to try and manage. There's some been some work out of Ontario, out of Canada. You know, they have a lot. They've had a lot of issues. Uh, really in michigan and in in ontario this past Mm -hmm. year had a lot more issues than what we did Um, but you have like you know fungicide we talk about fungicides manage it it's like a like a seven day window green silk in there you can get some control it's so difficult to to, you almost have to time it perfectly Um, but it really comes down to like you know walking your fields when you get close to harvest if you're seeing it finding any way you can to one get that grain out of that field cuz the longer it's going to sit the longer it's going to you know kind of get worse that toxin's going to yeah. continue to build Toxin. and grow so getting it out of the field getting it dried as quick as you can and then storing it in a in a cool place so you just wanted wanted to get it out of the field dry it dry it to I think it's when you get below 14% yep, moisture um that's when it really kind of halts uh these these toxins so you just want to get out of the field get it dried get it stored in a cool place do everything you can to stop uh, let me hear this. you want to get
1: it out of the field and dry it down as fast as possible right yes. so yes. i to make sure i caught that yes. right <laughs> no, <laughs> grain management is huge yeah. on that from what yeah. i understand right and yeah. you think about how our fall was we had a nice one to get some harvest in and then we just sat i mean all of us sat for two weeks three weeks it seemed like so i i think it does make sense while this kind of built up, and then you yeah. think about I remember yeah. you and I talking about the corn dry down in the northern part of the state was mm-hmm. taken forever. It seemed like yeah. is
3: is it all environmental? Like is it is it all based on the weather? Do, do uh, you know specific uh, seed traits? You know what what you planted? Does that play into this at all? Like d- does this go back to your your decisions that you're making? You know right now for for next year does that play into this as well
2: yeah i mean always pay attention to to your hybrids and and i'm sure i haven't looked at the seed companies if they you know maybe some do rate for that uh but again just looking you know hybrid selection is always important for for all aspects of disease but a lot of it is environmentally you know Dictated. You can have, you know, some of it can be dictated if you have a little bit of, you know, insect damage or bird damage or something that's going to open up that husk. Um, you, you know, one aspect about different hybrids is that different, c- certain corn hybrids have almost a different th- thickness of the, the, uh, the husk? Um, the husk, okay. yeah. So some husks can be a little bit tighter than others. So it may, you know, that may be where you get some differences in, in terms of, you know, hybrid differences um, as well. So you can have that. Um, but it's, it's just... When we get asked about it, right, and this is an area that we need to research a lot more, too. Um, we've had a lot of conversations with uh, the pathologists and a lot of the corn folks on this uh, recently. Uh, but it's it's really tricky, and it, it comes down to, you know, the storage part is really, really important. Um, you can maybe help it a little bit if you, you know, sieve the grain, or you can adjust your combine settings maybe to blow out some of the, the you know, smaller pieces. Mm. It might be a little bit higher levels of some of the mycotoxins and some of yeah. the smaller... more shriveled parts of grain but you know that maybe give you a little bit of benefit but there's still a lot that uh, at least from our perspective we need to learn
1: about it. So basically as you the potential for in-season management to help very tight window but then to walk the fields before or as you're harvesting uh, to understand which ones are more conducive to have these ear molds that are going to really potentially explode dry it down get it stored get it out right and Mm. so because if you're not handling it properly on farm storage it can really explode it go beyond you can take a test at the 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 field level and then a month later it can be totally different in hot spots Um, and then probably there is some level early on you could blend it away in terms of okay, let's mm-hmm. get it down to more acceptable levels. Yeah, yep. exactly. I,
3: I can hear the uh, the new radio commercials now for these seed companies. Our, our new husky husks, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, trying to trying to beef up their their corn husks here. It's
1: uh, it's hybrid one uh, with a hundred eight day husky hybrid. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I can hear it now, and it's all be going to be because of Dan. Uh, what else here, guys? Again, I think uh, the next time we're going to get together is going to be Ad commodity classic. Uh, that's coming up end of February early March. Uh, there is a February 29th this year, so we got to keep that in mind as we, we talk about that. But yeah. anything else we need to touch on before then? I mean, uh, it'll be interesting to be down there and kind of see what the, the overall vibe is because, again, uh, it's not just Indiana. It's across the country. We had a pretty darn good year, mm-hmm, yep. all things considered.
1: Yep. Uh, I don't think there's much to other than just, you know, what we did last year, obviously, uh, state record yield and a lot of fields were huge yielding. Tried to, to see what worked and there was some things that didn't work and so to, to mm-hmm. take that and move forward there's conditions last year that were very specific i've gotten emails of hey here's my condition and um, my neighbor had this and i was five bushel off do you think this was the cause and it's like yeah it could be <laughs> so then understand the why so i think that's the biggest thing that i say is understand the why why it yielded so well why it yielded so poorly and what can you do to fix it Yep,
2: just keep getting better and keep learning. Uh, You know, I know a lot of farmers are are sitting in meetings uh, right now, right? Test things, we bring that up every year. I'm sure every talk you've been to with a lot of of these farmers, you know, three to five bushel, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, if all these products got us three to five bushel, we'd be at about 600 bushel corn (laughs) by now. Um, So just, you know, pay attention, learn, question, test right leave a check strip leave a couple check strips yep. but keep trying things right I think that's important keep trying things um keep getting better um finding out areas of the field as you start getting all your data and your your yield maps in and your soil test results you know why, why did you know this part of the field not do as
3: good as this part of the field what, what do we need to do to to adjust that and move forward that does it for this edition of the Purdue Crop Chat. I'll see you guys in Houston. Um, I, I'm not going to take it easy on you down there. There isn't going to be anyone down there beating on a trash can uh, uh, to let you know. You know these straight fastballs are coming. I'm going to be throwing you curveballs. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it to you guys down there in Houston. So Houston, uh, we have a problem. <laughs> I, I I had I had to bang on the Astros a little bit there. I couldn't help myself. Uh, but no, we'll we'll get together in Houston. We'll do another crop chat then. Thanks, guys.
0: This has been Purdue Crop Chat, a regular series featuring Purdue Extension's Dr. Dan Quinn and Dr. Sean Castile. Made possible by the Indiana Corn and Soybean Checkoffs, the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, and the Indiana Soybean Alliance. The checkoffs are. Are pleased to help bring you agronomy insights from purdue extension opinions on the podcast are those of the host and guests and not those of the sponsor purdue crop chat is a service of purdue university extension and who's your ag today timely relevant credible